Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to another episode of Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast on the Athletic. I'm Bill Landis, joined as always by my main man Ari Wasserman out there in Arizona, but soon to not be. Right, some life changes coming your way. Yeah, no, I think we're uh, we're on our way to another Southwest state. Uh, this week is texas southwest texas is southwest of ohio yeah dallas texas this week i'm a texan he's officially a texan he goes out wearing a hat uh belt buckles because they're the best way to express yourself <laughs> tell you get your personality into the outfit with they a all, belt buckle a filet, belt, of, filet of fish belt fish. buckle <laughs> yeah well i mean uh, uh cowboys wear belt buckles with messages on them much like you would see on the front of a hat which I've always thought was strange because it's like if I wanted to express myself, I would put it on my T-shirt or a hat. Would not think belt buckle, but you know, everything's bigger in Texas, including belt buckles. Okay, so let's do this. Uh, this Hopefully not my waistline. <laughs> this past week, Ari had some people on Twitter use Photoshop to put my face on the Jollibee fast food restaurant logo and make it say Dollibee instead of Jollibee. And people had a lot of fun with that. I want anyone who's listening to this podcast who is creatively inclined to start designing filet of fish belt buckles for Ari to wear when he moves to Texas. I got to tell you, I was pretty upset um, about your lack of enjoyment in this because it is hilarious. It's even it's like spelled similarly, and the Photoshop's were hilarious. I enjoyed I, it, and you. I don't think you did. I didn't. I did not enjoy it. I I, I enjoyed uh, the spirit of it. I appreciate everyone's effort. Some of the effort was better than others. The person who left the logo the same, but just like put my beard on the whatever the thing is, I guess it's a B, that one was good. And then the one that uh, Kevin Noon made, which was a different photo of me that sort of fit in perfectly with the whole logo, that one was good too. A couple of the other ones you got I thought were pretty patchy handiwork, yeah. being honest. Yeah, the, the, the other one was, I think it should be your Twitter avatar. I don't know like what it has to be, but that's hilarious. I, uh, I don't want to confuse people. You know what? If we ever bet on something again, that's going to be my stakes. Why would people be confused? Because I'm a grown man and I'm not a cartoon bumblebee. It's fast food. It's also a fried chicken place, which kind of brings it back into perspective a little Incre- bit. Bizarre. We'll have something to talk about. We'll have to go eat Jolly Bee and then talk about it because I was looking at the menu and it's so bizarre. There's one in Phoenix. I don't know if there's one in Ohio or not. The closest one Chicago. If yeah, Big Ten and I don't really get it. become a thing again, maybe we can go there. So it's a Filipino fast food restaurant yep. that has some elements of American fast food, like fried chicken and hamburgers, but then like other things that are like shrimp stew and like steamed rice. Yeah, you can get like a bucket of fried chicken and a side of spaghetti. Wild. It is very wild. Okay. Nothing like starting off the show with a quick detour about nothing pertaining to Ohio State, but this wouldn't be our podcast if we didn't do that. There is some news uh, pertaining to Ohio State football that we should touch on before we get to some more of your questions in another mailbag episode. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, a couple hours ago, earlier on Tuesday afternoon, Ohio State announced that its voluntary workouts, which were paused last week, are resuming tomorrow. And if you read with our uh, reporting last week on The Athletic, uh, I wrote that some of the people I talked to said that they thought that when uh, workouts were paused last week that they would resume within a week. So they paused last Wednesday. They're resuming this Wednesday. Tomorrow is recorded now. So it was exactly a week to the day that Ohio State was not doing voluntary workouts because of some um, high positive test results in its last round of COVID-19 testing. They tested again on Monday. They made the point to say that they tested every athlete who was on campus in seven programs. Uh, And based on those results, which they didn't divulge because they haven't done that yet, they are getting back to workouts. Uh, So, Ari, are you surprised to see them back on, I guess they're not on the field, but back at it so soon? And then after you give your thoughts on that, I'll I'll give some specifics on exactly what the football team is able to do now. I'm not surprised. Um, If we're going to continue thinking that there's a chance that they play football, they've got to be able to weather the storms. And based on your your reporting from last week, um, I know Ohio State isn't, revealing the numbers and and all that stuff but from what we understood last week it was that it wasn't a huge outbreak more so a few isolated incidents in ohio state it was a precaution that they shut down the workouts you know tested did what they had to do isolated and are resuming and if 
if everything is going to shut down and have two or three week setbacks every time somebody tests positive, then there's no way that they're going to be versatile enough to continue the season if this stuff happens. So um, I think as we've spoken about in the past that we all have to kind of resign ourselves that cases are going to happen because it's a very hard thing to contain. But if college football is going to happen and soldier on after those things happen, they've got to be able to to get things moving again quickly. And it seems like that's what Ohio State was able to do. And I think actually it's a pretty positive sign that they were able to contain it, um, figure out the source of it, isolate it, and then continue on forward. So not surprised at all, really. So the NCAA has phases to a theoretical season that I think we've talked about a little bit, but July 13th was was an important day sort of in the build-up to the season. And, and on that day, football programs specifically were able to move from voluntary workouts to required team activities, which were uh, strength and conditioning training and up to two hours per week of film study. But the, like the major difference, two major differences with that were, one, that they could no longer be mandatory that you can make them required activities and two the coaching staff had not really been a part of this unless requested specifically by the by the athletes like the coaches weren't allowed to watch them train um they were allowed to do some stuff on film but they only had eight hours and like that eight hours encompassed everything even something like if um jonathan cooper was on a zoom call with larry johnson and like Tune Mache Adelaide, their recruit. Like if if Jonathan Cooper was on that call, that counted toward Jonathan Cooper's eight hours this week. So there were a lot of things going on that I think really limited the scope of what guys could do, and that's expanding a little bit. Now, countrywide, it's required. The Big Ten last week, when it announced that it was moving to a conference-only schedule, said that for now its conference activities would be voluntary, even as it moves into this new phase. So I, I thought that was a little confusing and I try to get some clarification on it. So it, basically it's this for, for big Ohio state and big 10 teams, they move into this next phase, the eight hours a week of conditioning and weightlifting and film session with their coaches involved as they normally would be, but it is voluntary for the players and, and the big 10 where they give the players sort of the, the out if they were uncomfortable for any reason to not do this stuff and retain their scholarship and not fear losing their scholarship the, the switch from voluntary to required is almost more important for the coaching staff because as voluntary workouts defined by the NCAA, they're not allowed to be a part of that. So they are – it's kind of a weird mixed bag. It's like it's not voluntary on the coach's end, but it is voluntary on the player's end. The end result is players don't have to do it if they don't want to, but coaches can become involved, more involved than they have been previously. Maybe that's confusing, and I did more to – muddy the picture than I did to clarify it, but I wanted to sort of get on the table what exactly is happening now that Ohio State football is getting back into workouts. Did that make any sense at all? Um, uh, wheels are spinning a little bit, but I think I get you. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just a tough thing to follow, but I think that you did as good of a job as you possibly could. Yeah. Basically, um, they're ramping up. Like, it's not it's not full-on practice. You'll pro- we'll probably see them on the field. I don't know if they'll put out videos or photos or whatever. But I think maybe at some point this week you might see Ohio State's social media team put some stuff out about guys working out on the field, and it's like this for two weeks. And then as long as nothing changes on July 24th, they go to 20 hours a week, and they can start doing walkthroughs and start throwing the football around a little bit. So it's inching closer. We don't know what the schedule is going to look like. I think maybe we'll get an answer on what the Big Ten's conference-only schedule is going to look like sometime this week. They're supposed to meet this week, according to Gene Smith. Maybe we'll get some clarity on that, but for now – Ohio State football and all of its athletics are back working out, and the football team is, is entered this first phase of the buildup to what we think will be a 2020 season. Yeah, and the, you- and the key here is to avoid any major incident as these continue. So, you know, the, the schedule is out there and it's in place, but, of course, you want to see, you know, teams avoiding anything with to do with the virus, you know, and it's a tough thing to do, and, you know, you, nobody knows where you catch it and all the things, but, you know, you want to stay clean and, and continue to move forward in a good way. And I think that uh, this is a pretty good sign this week to see some positive movement in a front uh, when last week it seemed so dire that there would even be a season. So I think this is all good stuff. We'll stay on top of it and, and you know, we'll, we'll do podcasts and we'll write stories related to all that stuff as, as it's required. But for now, we're going to get back into your questions with another subscriber mailbag. If you were listening to this and you were not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get subscribed at theathletic.com slash four dash six. They'll get you 40% off. You can submit questions for the podcast. You can read all of our stories and maybe even hear your name said on this here podcast by myself or Ari Wasserman. Wouldn't that be a treat? Especially your, I get text messages from random friends, all male 
who say that Bill Landis's voice is velvety and relax, velvety and relaxing. Like, do you get that a lot? Like, it kind of is. Like, I uh, run our podcast before bed sometimes just to get the streams going a little bit, and uh, <laughs> I like to re-listen to how we did. And your voice is very calming. I do get that sometimes. It's almost exclusively from other men, which is like, what? I'll take what I can get. Whatever. I appreciate the compliment. I don't know if I agree with it, but I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's it's a relaxing voice. I've fallen asleep to it many times. That's uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Okay, uh, let's get to the first question. You ready? Yeah, but I don't know why that would make you uncomfortable. We can explore that in a later episode. <laughs> okay. There's two draft questions. I guess we can maybe combine them into one question and talk a little bit about it. The one, first one from Tony M. is about Justin Fields and the expectation that he'll go pro this year regardless of what happens and whether or not we think there's any chance that Day would advise him to not go pro. And then the other one was from Keith J. about guys like Luke Farrell, the, the guys who aren't as big of marquee names for the NFL draft next year and what – the idea of no season or a spring season might do to their draft stock. So let's tackle the first one first because I think it's an easy answer. Would Ryan Day advise Justin Fields to not go pro? No. Regardless of what happens this year. No, I, I don't think so either. Ryan Day would love it if Justin Fields is on his roster in 2021. I think he resigned himself to the idea that that wasn't going to happen like at the middle of last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a certain limit where you could even say that with a straight face because we're talking top three pick here. Yeah, and there was a. I wrote a story that went up on Sunday. Um, had a couple different things in it, but one of the things I wrote about was what Joey Roberts, who works for the Elite Eleven, uh, told me about Justin Fields and the concerns he has with him. And it's the idea that he has fewer than 400 pass attempts in his career. And if obviously if a season doesn't happen, he wouldn't get any more than that. And whether that might impact Justin Fields' draft stock, I think it could potentially. But the rest of the quarterback class is like in the same boat, really, outside of Trevor Lawrence, who has two years of starting under his belt. The only other guys in competition with Fields would be like Trey Lance, who's a one-year starter at North Dakota State, and like Jamie Newman at Georgia, who now that JT Daniels at Georgia got immediate eligibility, like Newman might not even be the starter at Georgia this year if, if there is a season. So I, I don't think Justin Fields is impacted really negatively in any way, regardless of what, what happens this year. I think he's pretty well guaranteed almost a top-five pick. The other guys are more interesting. From Keith's question, guys like Luke Farrell – how might their draft stock or perception of them change in a world where there's no football season or there's a spring season and they got to figure out, should I play, should I not play? Well, I got into it a little bit, not into it, but we had a nice discussion with my editor on the mailbag because I was coming up with um, scenarios for tw- uh, spring season and um, I worked under the assumption that the draft didn't move their date. But even if they did move their date back a month and a half, like would people play? And he said, well, what if there's a chance that the NFL and the NCAA could strike up a rule agreement that players who are actually playing in the middle of the season can get taken in the middle of the season? And I thought to myself, well, if they did that, they still wouldn't play. Because why would anybody who has um, their stock all set risk playing a free season when the draft is in April or May? But then he said... And I thought it was a very good point. What about guys like Luke Farrell, who could play four or five games and really burst out onto the scenes and improve their stock? Um, And I think that there is something to that. But if there is no season, then it's going to be like what coaches and college programs are doing right now without the camps. You have to rely on film and, and look at measurables and do things that, I mean, I still think they probably figure out a way to do a socially distanced combine. Um, where they can measure these guys and see their their skill sets and their physical tools. But what do you think college programs are doing right now? Like, what would they do? They would have to, like, rely on their own skill set and their own ability to break down film and do the best that they can. Um, and, like, I think we've seen enough of Luke Farrell to kind of make an educated guess on where he should be. And if you want to project another year of experience and make him more valuable, then that's up to the, the staffs and the scouts to do that. Um, will it be more difficult? Yes. Will there be more misses? Absolutely. Will it be more fun? Hell yeah. <laughs> I think I, mean, I know there's a lot of money at stake here, and it's I'm like like minimizing the importance of that. But what are you going to do? If there's no season. There's no season. The one thing that I hadn't considered with this whole conversation about what what's going to happen. I mean, I even think it's a conversation for the fall if it's just like we're only playing conference games and there's no championship. Like, then what's the end game? Like, why would you even play in that scenario? Ben Standig, who was a 
Raider who works for the Washington uh, site for us covers the soon-to-be renamed Washington football team and writes about the Wizards and some other stuff there, wrote an article about this talking with NFL people. And in his article, he, he had something that I had to consider, which was the idea that when these guys leave early, or not even leave early, when they leave college to prepare for the NFL draft, the agents that hire them pay for them to train. And they get recouped on the back end. And some of these agents are saying it costs sixty, seventy thousand dollars to basically float these guys for months until they get drafted and get that money to start paying them back. And the agencies aren't just going to start floating two hundred players who decide they aren't going to play. So I think that comes into consideration for guys. It's not a consideration for like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Those guys aren't going to play. But even someone like Wyatt Davis, who maybe is like a fringe top twenty, top thirty kind of player. And his family is, I don't know, maybe it's a bad example because he's from a pro football family. Maybe they're a little more well-off and they can handle it. But guys like that who don't have the financial means possibly to train, to do what it takes to train for the NFL draft for that long, might decide that they're better off staying in college and training at the college facilities. And maybe some of these guys who are right on the fringe will decide to stay. Um, and maybe the number that we're having in our heads of the guys who might take flight and go to the NFL right away might be a little lower than we're anticipating. But these top flight guys, they're, I mean, they're gone. Well, how many players in college football do you think um, have their stock set and no matter what they do, that's their stock? Ten? Ten to fifteen, yeah. And if it's ten to fifteen, then this could get interesting. Maybe it's fewer than that. Maybe it's like eight. Even if it's eight. Anything less than fifteen means maybe kids will play. But like yeah. I like I don't know that I would play if I was a potential third rounder. I wouldn't either. I, I mean, I guess it's easy to say because it's hypothetical. And it's money that, um, you know, isn't normal. It's not normal money. Now, maybe the – I just don't know how much a person would have to gain by playing one more season if the draft was located around that time or rather than working out. Like, I made this uh, comment uh, with Max Olson during a personal conversation to him. But if I were Justin Fields or even somebody that was a second or third round pick, I'd go get an apartment in Los Angeles, work out on the beach with a private coach, stay away from people, don't put myself in a building where they're prone to outbreak, and just wait for my payday. You can get an agent to float you enough money to live like a normal person for a while. I'm not saying they're going to live in a beautiful house on the cliff in Malibu, but like Justin Fields could if you want to do. If Justin, Justin Fields, Fields wanted to, could, if Justin yeah. Fields wanted to. to put a bow on his career right now and go move to Southern California and train with a quarterback coach for another year and live the life and have all the money in the world that he'd want. He could do that right now. He could, but I think the list of guys who could do that is maybe a little shorter than we, but like a person like Wyatt Davis who might or may not be in that window of top to 15 could also do that. Not to the same extent, but I think he could go live sign with an agent and live in a desirable place and work out and get ready for the draft because he is a draft pick. Yeah, and there are other ways to get money, too. It doesn't have to come from an agent. You can take out loans and stuff, yeah. and theoretically you get a big enough contract to pay it all off and not have to worry about it. Um, but it is interesting for guys like, would you, if you were in that situation, we're going a little long here, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. If you were in that situation, you're Justin Fields. Are you saying you're in that frame of mind already, no matter what if happens? If I'm Justin Fields, I'm in California months ago. Yeah. What, what, what am I doing? Yeah. We're less than a year away from when he's getting drafted anyway. That's a very short amount of time relatively to generational wealth. And I under, I wouldn't – if I were Justin Fields, and I know this is going to make people mad, and I'm sorry, it's just my opinion, I would not play this year even if they play in the fall. There's nothing for him to gain there. Would he be better off yeah, in the I league? Maybe. Would he develop more into Ryan Day? Absolutely. His financial situation ain't changing. And he can get the money yeah. sooner. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, and it's not about it's not about him having Ohio State not being able to do anything for him because, I, like you said, it, it can. It's just a matter of does the potential risk outweigh. outweigh Everybody the flipped out last year when Nick Bosa didn't want to play anymore. There was a large portion of the fan base who thought Nick Bosa was crazy for not playing anymore after he suffered that injury. Guess what? He's fine. There were a few news cycles yeah, right. where <laughs> worked out okay for him. <laughs> There are certain players that are generationally good, <laughs> and Justin Fields is one of them. And I know the question was how many people would play, and we're just kind of on a different tangent right now. But if you're in a position where you are generationally good, then you can survive the Colin Coward uh, roasts for an hour and this news cycle <laughs> of people telling him that he's selfish, you know, or all the other bullshit that comes along with that decision that is a personal decision. 
in the one that Nick Bosa made because you remember how people reacted. And then in a year from now, when he makes a play, he can plant a flag in the middle of a fake field and everybody on Ohio State Twitter will love you again. Go do what you got to do. Be what's best for you. And I, I know that sucks because there's so much at stake in terms of like what Ohio State could do with this guy. And to me, they were a national championship team last year that didn't win one. And maybe they would be again this year. But in terms of personal decision-making, I can't fathom why somebody would put themselves in a, in a building with 100 other people during a, uh, a virus like this that could have long-term health effects. I could fathom why you'd do it if a national championship is still on the table. Anything short of that, and I maybe can't. But, but I'm not. I'm also not going to sit here if it happens and he plays. I'm not going to say he's wrong. Like whatever, it's his decision. Yeah. But and the thing I too would is hope that, that if he makes a decision, you're talking about people wouldn't give him shit like you're saying. It's one thing too. Like, just so I'm very clear, I wouldn't play even if everything was normal. <laughs> <laughs> like I. I don't want to blow my. You do the. You do the. You do the. Trevor Lawrence should sit out two years. I think and then Trevor go to the Lawrence NFL. should yeah. have been done after last year. I, I I don't know why these people are the high the highest point of college football though. So like, there's only three of them. But if I were one of the three, I wouldn't play. I wouldn't have played if I were Nick Bosa. I would never even put myself in a situation to pull to have that hernia or whatever happened to him the the abdomen injury. If you're a no doubt about a top five pick, I would not put my body in peril until I got that money. I mean, you got to play some, right? <laughs> you got to be. You got to. No, show no. I'm saying once you do it, pick. Nick Bosa was a top ten pick after his sophomore year. He played his junior yeah. year because he wanted to win a national championship, and I think that's admirable. If he decided to sit out before he hurt his abdomen, I would have thought that was a smart decision. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I think both things. Can People be true. always make fun of me in the press box. They always say, "Why is he not in Malibu?" <laughs> And I, I think people make fun of you in the press box because you just, you're just it's utterances the entire game. <laughs> some of them make sense and some of them don't. Yeah, well, it's called brainstorming. People are going to miss that this year when we're not in a press box. Be careful what you wish for. Hey, it's Ari here. We're going to get back to the show in a minute, but as the host of Four to Six with A and B that smells better, I wanted to take a second to talk about Hawthorne Cologne and the importance of smelling good. Landis always tells me how great I smell, and so does everybody else that I come in contact with. So do yourself a favor and be like me. Take a two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne will tell you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work, one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code AB to get 10% off of your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code AB to get 10% off of your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. From Gregor F. Who is your OSU top five list currently to close out the... Oh, I guess he asked who was ours and who was OSU's. They're probably the same, so let's just give our top five lists to currently close out the 2021 recruiting class. They have 18 commitments. I wrote a story last week, at the beginning of last week, on the top 10 remaining targets. You can go look at that. Ari's done that in the past as well. It's, it's evolved over the course of them putting together this class. But right now, they sit there with 18. They'll probably get right around 25 like they usually do. Top five guys to fill out this class. Go. Okay, so you just want me to name the ones that I would pick? You want to all, Let's alternate. You do okay, from we'll go we'll go from uh, number one to number five because I think it gets interesting as you get down okay. to number five. Okay, well, so uh, you, number one is JT Tuimalo. He is also my number one defensive tackle slash defensive end from Seattle, Washington. Uh, big need, like a bigger need than I anticipated when I went, when I set out to write that thing last week. I was fully prepared to put Tristan Lay as my number one guy, and I even wrote a story the week before about how he should be the number one guy. And then I looked at their defensive tackle depth chart a little bit and what they could potentially lose after this year. And I was like, oh, they need a couple, and they need some good ones because the depth there is not great unless they start moving some defensive ends around. So he's my number one, too. I'm also in the camp of if this is going to be Ohio State's number one class of all time and one of the best classes, if not the best class ever signed, let's get some extra star power in here and, and start getting some for lack of better word, sexy additions to the class. I think they could get three or three more five-star prospects potentially into this group, and adding him with Jack Sawyer and Tumache Adelaide is just the most ridiculous combo of defensive linemen that you could come up with. And Michael Hall, uh, who you went up and visited, go read that story from Streetsboro. I do think he's uh, the clear number one. And then my number two is Tristan Lay. And like I know that you wrote about Tristan Lay a few weeks ago, and he was supposed to be – the number one on your list, and then he dropped down to number three, which kind of confused me because we did talk about how 
Um, offensive tackle is a, a pretty big need. Another star power offensive tackle after J.C. Latham committed to Alabama. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that Latham um, can't reappear onto Ohio State's list, and I still might have added him into my top ten if I did that this time. Um, but certainly understand the point of having him top three. Why was he number one? Because of what I said about defensive tackles, and he's re- I don't have a number two even here. I have Taiwan Malone, another defensive tackle at number two. I think I got spooked a little bit just looking at that list and the idea that they're going to lose Antoine Jackson and Haskell Garrett. Very reasonable that they could lose Tommy Togiai. Not impossible that Teron Vincent is really good like in his first year playing significantly, and he also leaves, and then you lose your top four defensive tackles. And like no offense, but the guys left on your roster are Jerron Cage, who we don't know much about, Jaden McKenzie, who we don't know anything about, and then freshmen. And I think in addition to star power, like you're talking about with uh, JT Tuimolo, like they just need guy, they need dudes at that position, and quite quite possibly need dudes at that position who are ready to play right away. So, defensive tackle became a very urgent and apparent need to me, which is why I put both those guys one and one and two. So Malone is your two then? Yeah, and Lay is my Lay, two, and Tristan Lay is my three. Okay, my three is uh, Emeka Ibuka. He is and not on I my list. That, well, then yeah. So yours has shifted from the story you wrote. Mm-hmm. Love that. That's why this is fun. Um, Egbuka is not a need, but I am a flashy stars guy. And like the idea that they went to Seattle last year and got G Scott and he could have been a five-star prospect. I know that, um, Brian Hartline signed four top 60 wide receivers last year. Um, top 60 overall players, uh, at receiver, I should say. And this isn't necessarily something that Ohio state needs, but I think that if you add and have a guy like in this position, who likes Ohio State and is from that far away and is leaning. I think his like crystal balls right now are all to Ohio State. Um, we're talking about a, a six foot one, two hundred pound monster here. Uh, let's get this star studded and as obscenely highly rated as possible. I, I think that taking the next step for Ohio State, and you might think this is nuts, but if Ohio State is on the verge of being Alabama or Clemson, I think the thing that gets them over the top is just an insanely absurd, talented roster with surplus of guys that you might not even need. And I think that, like, more so than trying to plug and, and fill in holes of things that you need, not that that's not important. Of course, it's very important. But I think just getting a wealth of talent might do the thing that Ohio State fans are waiting for it to do, and that's to explode over the top and into the Alabama-Clemson territory, and you do that by signing five-star prospects from Seattle. So, in fact, I think you could talk yourself into the two Seattle five-stars as being my one and two. But for now, I'll keep them at three. I feel like I should explain my uh, thinking here a little bit. The story I wrote last week was more what I think Ohio State's board might actually look like and also leaned a little more on narrative, which would be like what you were just talking about, like let's load up on stars, let's make this the number one class and not even make people think twice about it because it's so deep. Uh, With this exercise for this question on this podcast, I took it more as like who are the five guys that me personally would want the most. So that's why there's a little bit of discrepancy just to explain that. So Lay was my third for reasons we've talked about before. I think they need a stud tackle. Uh, my fourth is Jordan Hancock, the cornerback who's currently committed to Clemson, who was once considered an Ohio State lean, and I think maybe if visits were allowed to happen this spring, probably be committed to Ohio State right now. It's still a major need in this class, uh, a, a stud cornerback. They have guys in the secondary. It's going to be a big secondary group. I would have a little more peace of mind with this class if they had like a no-doubt-about-it stud corner, and maybe that's J.K. Johnson who's already committed. I would feel a little better a little better about that if it were Jordan Hancock, and I also think that the need is so great that you could probably say that they need two guys like that anyway. Four is Hancock for me as well, and I think that everything that you just said is true. You want to have the best possible scenario um, athlete-wise at the cornerback position, and we're talking about a top 76 player, um, number six corner in the country, and what is sweeter for Ohio State than flipping a Clemson prospect out of Atlanta? Like, Atlanta is always going to be an interesting spot. Ohio State's dipped their toes in. They got Harry Miller out of there. And Georgia, you know, it's been a tougher place to recruit. Ohio State used to raid Georgia. Ever since Kirby Smart got to Georgia, it's been a little bit harder. But I think establishing um, the history of getting a top-rated cornerback like Hancock out of Gwinnett High School, which is one of the best programs in the Atlanta area, and flipping him from – not to mention his talent. I just think that, you know – this is too fun to do because I love like the other storylines that have to go with it. And like 
pipeline to Atlanta f- is important for the future as well. So, like, to me, um, that makes a lot of sense. I was torn on who to pick fifth, so hit me with your fifth guy first, and maybe that'll sway me one way or the other. J.C. Latham. And I don't know okay. if that's even a rational pick, but, like, we're picking, like, what we want. Mm-hmm. And, like, to me, you can never have too many elite five-star offensive tackles if Latham – I don't know that there's going to be official visits uh, at all this year in the in the calendar year of 2020. But if I had to pick one person to insert into uh, that board, you know, and I think you could even make an argument to flip flop Lay and Latham because Latham was the guy that they thought they were going to get for a large portion of the previous four months. So um, this is all luxury at this point. Yeah, I was considering Latham, and I also considered Jagger Burton, who's another offensive lineman who's a little more versatile and positionally. I think could play either center or guard. I don't think he's a tackle. He's a little lower rated than these guys, but I think also potentially more attainable than either Lay or J.C. Latham. The other guy I was considering was Rayshon Davis, the linebacker from uh, modern day in California, which he's an outside linebacker. It's not a glaring need in this class, but with that one, I did like lean a little bit more toward the splash of it, the idea that you could flip a guy like Davis, who is like number 36, I think, in this class, borderline five-star prospect, from LSU, he's committed to LSU. Like, the, if you flip a guy like that out of the class of the defending national champions to like top off what is the greatest class on paper, like in the history of modern recruiting, it'd be pretty crazy. Especially if you did that on top of flipping Jordan Hancock out of Clemson's class. So, I think I would go him with my fifth pick. It's not necessarily a need because if they don't get another outside linebacker, it's not the end of the world. But I think what that would signify for Ryan Day for Al Washington. Um, would be pretty important. So I, I would put him number five. And like, I don't know if this is a good time for me to plug my recruiting mailbag today, but this question kind of um, broaches a topic that um, has been kind of regular for me on my Twitter timeline. I don't know if you have encountered this at all, but Ohio State fans wondering, because it's been kind of quiet the last few months, if things are kind of slowing down. It's just like, look at this list. Like, it's insane. And a lot of these guys are holding out for the ability to visit and um, – you know, are going to be December-like decisions. I mean, that's what happens when you're in the mix of five-star prospects with 18 verbal commitments right now and all this talent still on the board. Like, I don't know how anybody with a rational mind could be freaking out about what's going on here. I mean, this is insane. They were in a crazy run from, like, mid-March to basically the middle of April then it trickled a little bit into May where I think they got, like, eight or nine guys. Some of them were really good. Some of them were unexpected, like Travion Henderson and, and Tumache Adelaide. Um, so I get if you feel like things have slowed down because they have slowed down, but they have 18 guys committed and like, they can't take all of them. I think it's at a certain point you have to slow down. And I'm not saying they're, they're slow playing any of these guys. Cause I think all the guys we've talked about, they would take right now if they called and said, I'm in. Um, but to think that it was just going to be like, boom, we're going to get all 25 of our commits in like an eight week span was never realistic. So yeah. it's slower too, for sure, but not, there's like, there's nothing wrong with it being slower. If, Another team signed all of these top 10 remaining targets that you had on your on your story that you ran um, July 7th and then signed a bunch of three-star prospects. I still think that that'd be a top 10 class. Like, that's just the leftovers of the people they're waiting for, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's two five-star prospects and a bunch of fringe five-star prospects on this list. And if Ohio State only gets three or four out of the 10, then that means that they're off to the moon so like it's uh, what they're doing is nuts and we've tried to quantify it in previous episodes um and i don't think i can stress enough how impressive this is next question also a recruiting topic from scott hey bill before you go i don't mean to interrupt you but he said what do you think ohio states would be so did we yeah i kind of combined it into one thing um what i think ohio states would be is probably just quickly like tui malo um maybe latham egbuka I think Malone would still be high and then maybe like Jagger Burton or Jordan Hancock. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And if you want to know what the top 10 uh, list is in order of importance, go read Bill's story on July 7th and he'll be a new one coming out here in August. So we do that every month and that's fun. It is fun. At a certain point, it's going to flip to 2022. Yeah, you got to plug, man. Plug. Go read The Athletic, theathletic.com slash four dash six. Scott E., next question. Which recruit that OSU recruited but didn't sign over the last few years do you think of as the biggest miss 
based on how good that player is currently and how much of an upgrade they would be over the current projected starter at Ohio State for the 2020 season? Love this question. I honestly had a hard time coming up with them. I wrote down a couple. Uh, and I think I have my answer like for the definitive number one, but I wrote down a couple. Um, I think maybe the most obvious one was like Jackson Carmen because that was such a high-profile miss, but I don't know. It's the only one. Yeah, but like Thayer, and he's he's a better player than I think he's a better player than Thayer Munford. Like apologies to Ohio State fans, and he's uh, I think a better player than whoever starts at right tackle at the moment. Parrish Johnson might end up being better than him, but it's not such a glaring need to me that I was like, boom, Jackson Carmen's the answer, even though his miss was the most high profile. Well, I when I initially read this question, I read it as a flip, and I couldn't think and remember any of the major flips that happened where they lost somebody and they could use them as an upgrade. So. The, the ones that Ohio State wanted and didn't get, I think, are very interesting. And, like, the one that I always think of, but this is going way back, but the most high-profile miss that Ohio State had was Deshaun Watson. Yeah, but this and question was it, who could play next year. Who, no, no, I know. that's. But I was just saying based on that, and now yeah. I'm going to – while you talk, I'm, my my wheels are going to spin for next year. Okay, so a couple guys – you can really only go back – I guess you could technically go back to 2016, but mostly you should start in 2017 – a couple of the guys that I wrote down are uh, Najee Harris, <clears throat> running back at Alabama, who Ohio State recruited. And, like, it wasn't totally in it in the end. It was Michigan or Alabama, right? He was the one who said, uh, I'm getting on a plane. You'll see where I end up on uh, the first day of the – Which is the semester. most amazing thing that's ever happened in the history – in the history of recruiting. <laughs> Unbelievable power move. Uh, but he was in the 2017 class, which was the same year they got J.K. Dobbins. So I don't know if you can really count that one because it was never going to be realistic for them to sign Dobbins and Harris in the same recruiting class. So I don't, I'm not sure that one really works that well. Um, some other ones were Marvin Wilson, defensive tackle, who's at Florida State. And while I don't think defensive tackle is a glaring need for Ohio State, um, they could stand to be a little deeper there, and he's really good. He's going to be a first-round pick, and I would take a first-round disruptive defensive tackle any day of the week, even if I don't need one. And then the other one was Micah Parsons, linebacker at Penn State. Again, I'm not sure it's a totally glaring need for Ohio State, but he's also a transformative player who you find a spot to work, and he can kind of play any linebacker position in Ohio State's defense. But my actual answer to this question, based off what Ohio State actually I'm afraid you're going to say mine. Guy they had a realistic shot of getting and a guy who I think would be a pretty good improvement over what they are expected to have this year at the position to say is it. Richard LeCount. Oh, 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 that's not what I thought you were going to say. Uh, Richard LeCount was the first uh, recruit that I ever wrote at Cleveland.com. He went to Rayquan McMillan's high school, right? Yeah, fun fact. Um, how good is he? I haven't really been paying attention to that. Uh, potentially the number one safety in the draft. I think he has the, the, the chance to become a first rounder. And like that comes with the understood, uh, element of, we don't know if there's going to be a season, but there's some mock drafts that have him in the first round. Um, I think he's a guy that you could put on this roster and put at the deep safety position. And while Josh Proctor might be very good, you'd feel a little bit better about that. A little bit better about shoring up the back end, I think, by putting Richard LeCount in there. Or maybe you can even put him a nickel and and feel better about what they're going to do there to replace Sean Wade. Yeah, and like you could go down the list and come up with names that Ohio State was involved with that would be great, but I think we only want to limit it to people that they actually had a chance of getting, right? Um, and the one that I think should have been uh, coming out of your mouth was a player that was actually committed to Ohio State and flipped, and that's Jaden Woodbay at Florida State. And like Ohio, the reason I didn't pick him is because he was hurt last year. I thought about it. He's supposed to be really good, right? Yeah, he should start. He'll be a starting safety at Florida State. Yeah, and I just feel like when you're trying to replace everything that Ohio State lost, that that would be a really good player to have on your roster, especially considering the fact that he was once committed. Um, and another one, too, is Brenton Cox, because he was really high in Ohio State for a while, too, and now he's in the mix he of was committed. Georgia. And so, I mean, if you look at the top 100 players that Ohio State – or the top 100 players in the entire 2018 class, it's pretty crazy um, how many players Ohio State was really into. They were even in, in into um, – I don't know how to say his name, so help me out here. Palea 
Guy T.O.T. Oh, I, I used to know how to say his name, and I, I, it's no longer in my brain because he's not an Ohio State target anymore. It's like Pallier Guy Teote or something and like Ohio that. Ohio State also was com, uh, recruiting Cade Mays pretty hard. Um, yeah. They were also um, kind of flirting with Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I think people think he's gonna one of the higher risers, right? Quarterback at UCLA now. I don't know if he was ever going to take – but just off the top of my head, he was also in the mix. And uh, another one, Amon Ross St. Brown, Ohio State recruited. So, like, if you really wanted to go off the off the deep end there and just go with people that were early on considering Ohio State or maybe even visited, there's some pretty good names out there. But I think you hit all the biggest ones. And, like, Jackson Carmen doesn't win because as good as he is, like, I think that Ohio State's fine with Nicholas Petit-Freer starting this year if things go the way that they hope they do. Yeah, I agree. Some really good questions this week. Some thinkers. Questions that involve a lot of thought, a little bit of research. This next one from Brian R. I, th- I thought was well-reasoned in one of them. He said, uh, let's pretend there's an NCAA overhaul where Power 5 schools and Group of 5 schools form an English football-style relegation between the two. For example, the Big Ten partners with the MAC, and the bottom team in each division of the Big Ten gets relevated, relegated to the MAC, and vice versa. How long does it take for a MAC school to routinely stay up in the big leagues? Are you familiar at I would, all with uh, relegation? I could put. I don't know anything about soccer, but I can put it together. The two worst teams in the higher league get sent down to the lower league, and vice versa. I think in the, in soccer it's three, but that's the idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'd be cool to like be like you suck so bad that you don't get to be a part of the league anymore. I think that you can make a case that the best teams in the MAC are better than Rutgers and Illinois. It's just a question of are are the good teams and are the best teams in the MAC good enough to stay out of the bottom two spots in their respective Big Ten divisions to avoid getting sent back down every other year? And is Rutgers so good that if they now become the best team in the MAC, like they're just going to win their division and get bumped back up every other year? Like he's at, like, is there a, is there a, is there a team that could stay, stay in the, the Big, Big Ten. Ten for two or three years? Yeah, just not get sent back down right right away. I don't know if there I is. I don't know there is. I don't I'm looking at I'm trying to look at like I think that there are some teams that have had teams that are good enough to do better than uh Rutgers and Illinois have done in recent years and maybe even Maryland to some extent, but I don't know if any of them are built good enough or well enough um to stay there. Now, the one thing I'll say is if they were in the Big 10 and they were able to recruit like a Big 10, I think there's a chance that they would. Like Northern Illinois is a better run football program than Rutgers right now. Like, Northern Illinois plays good football. And um, Toledo has had some really good teams. And sometimes I wonder, like, is Toledo's a bigger city than Champaign, Illinois? You know, like, I don't know if Kent State or Buffalo had a pretty good team a few years ago or Central Michigan, but I do think that some of the the top teams, like Northern Illinois or um, Toledo or even Western Michigan, could, could do something. Northern Illinois is an interesting one, and if you do it geographically, say for instance, you like Northern Illinois is in the MAC West, and if it came up, it would be in the Big Ten West. I don't have really much hesitation in saying that I think Northern Illinois could like hold its own against Illinois and Northwestern most years. So I think I would give a team like that a pretty good chance of finishing at least at six, if you we're talking about finishing sixth in your division. If you finish sixth in your division, you get to stay up. I think a Northern Illinois and a Big Ten West might be able to pull that off. I think it's a harder proposition if you're in the East. Like Toledo is a very good program, and if you put it in the Big Ten East right now, I think it could finish ahead of Rutgers. But I don't know if it can get up to that next rung and finish routinely ahead of like even a Maryland or an Indiana. It's certainly not going to finish better than Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, or Michigan State. But even like the, with Mike Loxley at Maryland, I think that's a hard proposition to, to think that a MAC team could could sustain that and get above a team like that. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, look, the question I have is, and I have every confidence um, in the world that Rutgers is going to improve under Greg Schiano, but the Rutgers that we know, I don't think is a better program than half the MAC. <laughs> half the MAC might be a little strong. There's a, there's a couple of MAC. Is it teams a better program? Okay, then let's do this. Is Rutgers better than? Okay. Is Rutgers better than Central Michigan? Yeah. Is Rutgers better than Western Michigan? Uh, no, maybe. No, I think I'd say no on that. I'm trying to like look and see because Western Michigan had some pretty big wins the last few years, didn't they? 
Either way, I don't know what they've been since PJ Fleck was there. I'm not going to pretend to be a Mac expert. Yeah, is um, Rutgers better than Toledo? No. Is Rutgers better than Northern Illinois? No. Is Rutgers better than Miami, Ohio? Yeah. Is it better than Ohio? Uh, I think it's close. Like, and I, when you ask me better than, I th- I'm thinking of like ability to have success relative long to like term, the rest of your league. Yeah, long term. Yeah. Um, no, I think I'd maybe rather be. I guess if the, the pay was equal, I'd rather be. The only player. one else that I think I could say, I guess Ball State or Buffalo are the last two that I think are even worth discussing. I think you can make an argument for Buffalo. I would not make one for Ball State. Yeah. Yeah. I hope one day that the Big Ten will be a conference where this is a ridiculous question. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty telling that we can even have this conversation. And I think we can have it without totally being left out of the room, although I'm sure there are some people thinking right now that we're nuts. I'm not. Uh, well, I, I think that the whole idea is that Rutgers' current state of awfulness is temporary. So if like this is what they are, then it's a joke. Um, but if they can be a little bit better, then maybe it won't be. But that's really the only program I think I would put. I mean, even Illinois showed some signs of life last year. So, you know, to me, yeah. a team that loses by 50 points anytime they play a top half of the Big Ten team is so far off the reservation. Like, they're losing 50 to nothing to teams that aren't really that good. So, like, Rutgers is the – I mean, Ohio State has an easier time with Rutgers than they do with non-conference teams from power f- or a group of five conference divisions. Yep, that is true. Uh, next question is from Bo B. It's a non-football question, it, and he asks, uh, "When will I, me, Bill, get my official fast food sandwich sponsorship, and who will it be from?" Now that Ari is sponsored by Fileo Fish and has Fileo Fish swag, I think it's. Um the difference, and I think sometimes maybe even personality-wise, we kind of bunt our heads a little bit, is that when I'm arguing with somebody that I get, like, passionately, like, interested in butting my head against them. And, like, if you don't like the filet fish like, I'll fight you over that. And I don't know that you have that fire. If somebody disagrees with you, you're more of a, eh, live and let live, right? Like, I yeah. like to have, like, discussions, and sometimes I get irritated and I think the reason why the filet fish thing is so funny to people is because it's just a fast food sandwich. Like, why would anybody get as bent out of shape about it as I do? And I think that's part of the reason why the sponsorship happened. And, like, the question is, when is Bill going to get his official fast food sandwich? I don't think there's any sandwich in fast food that you're nearly as passionate about as I am with the filet fish That is correct. But I don't there, there aren't many things in life that I'm as passionate about as you are about the filet fish, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. But I think this is a good opportunity. Uh, Marcus Hartman from the Dayton Daily News texted me today because I compared Power 5 programs to uh, McDonald's menu items in my mailbag on Tuesday on The Athletic. And he said McDonald's sucks. And then I went into a rampage because it kind of hit me how shitty Wendy's is. And, like, he's a big Wendy's guy, and I hate everything about Wendy's except a spicy chicken sandwich. And I know... I th- really? That's interesting. I hate how long it takes. Every time you go to a Wendy's, it's terrible customer service. I think their fries are terrible, and their price points are a little bit higher than other fast food places if you want to get a real burger. So I know people are obsessed with the four for four and whatever, but I think they've got the worst fries in fast food. And I think that their burgers are on par with everybody else, and I don't like the terrible weight limits there like i i don't or the wait time there every time i want to get a burger out of this place it takes 25 minutes and i'm just not interested in going there anymore but i thought maybe i could see you up for a a spicy chicken sandwich um because you're a big wendy's spicy and i love the wendy's spicy and it's the only reason i would ever put myself through going there again i do love the wendy's spicy and i also think i would say that while I agree with you on the price point, and I agree with you on the wait time does seem to be a little bit longer, I would th- say that on average, the quality of Wendy's sandwich, not its fries, the sandwich is better than the quality of McDonald's. And I think that you also could make that argument. Um, but I think, what's the best hamburger on Wendy's menu? Baconator. So I'm not a huge bacon person. Yeah. But the Dave's Double and Triple are huge burgers. But I would argue that McDonald's double quarter pounder with cheese is every bit as good as any burger that's on the Wendy's menu. The meat is flavorful. It's a big sandwich. It, I like everything about the, the double quarter pounder. 
except the fries are a million times better than Wendy's, and the diversity of the menu at McDonald's is better. Wendy's, do they even have breakfast there? You can get a McGriddle all day. They've got your the sausage. Breakfast, uh, Wendy's, Wendy's does have breakfast, and it's pretty good, and they have uh, they have croissants, and I need you to try it because I need your thoughts on it. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that Wendy's had breakfast, but all I know is you can get a McGriddle or a sausage biscuit, which is your – That's. I mean, I thought you would say sausage biscuit, and obviously we know McDonald's is – willing to sponsor people, um, but you can get those all day, and their fries are infinitely times better. McDonald's Coke is amazing, and their chicken nuggets are better. Like, I don't think there's anything about Wendy's that makes me want to wait in that line, except if I want their spicy chicken sandwich. I don't think, uh, yeah, this is, this is a long fast food conversation, but I, I think I prefer Wendy's nuggets to, to McDonald's. McDonald's is very hit or miss for me, and I also find their burgers dry, mm. which is not great. Mm. But to get back to this question, when am I going to get my fast food sandwich sponsorship? Never, because I don't care enough to get one. But if I did get one, who would I want it from? My favorite sandwich is the sausage McMuffin, but that would lead itself to like some pretty boring swag, I think. So I think a sausage McMuffin bucket hat would be fly. Yeah, maybe it would be pretty good. I was thinking something spicy because I can get something with flames on it. <laughs> you want to be like I Fieri? Yeah, I just want to, I want a bowling shirt with a spicy like, I don't know, Wendy spicy chicken bowling shirt with fire on it so I can look like Guy Fieri. It's all about passion. You can't ask for the sponsorship. You got to earn it. You got to earn it. You got to live it. I don't live it. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend that I do. You live it. I don't know why, but you do it. I do it. <laughs> all right. Uh I'm going off script here. I want to jump cuz I want to make sure we get your take on this question. Okay. It was from Josh M. He says, with the reclassification of Tony Grimes, a five-star cornerback out of Virginia who committed to UNC, do you think this happened to schools like Ohio State and Alabama or more schools like UNC? He says for himself, he doesn't see kids doing it this year, or he does see kids doing it this year with a chance of no high school season, but would they also do it for schools? I'm confused by this question. I'll just ask you. I'll ask my own question. Do you think this becomes a thing? Tony Grimes reclassifying from high school to go to North Carolina right away. Is this a thing? Is this a one-off? Is this, is this born out of the current situation where there might not be any high school football? Or do you see this becoming more of the norm moving forward? Well, I think that this is all a very strategically cool move from Grimes and his family because if he's not going to play football this year, he might as well not play at North Carolina and get the support from the coaching staff, the weightlifting regimen, the uh, playbook, the nutrition, the body, the weight room, everything. He might as well go. If he's not going to play high school, what's he waiting for? And he's a five-star prospect who has dreams of playing in the NFL in three years, so he's also starting the clock on his chances of getting paid rather than just sitting out with his high school team this year, potentially. So I do think that this is going to be something that we see more often this year. And uh, Mason Smith, the five-star defensive tackle and LSU lean out of Louisiana, just tweeted something like an hour ago um, on Tuesday morning saying, um, no season this year, might as well reclassify. Um, And I don't know if he was joking or not. I guess there's some things about it that I do think that there's a chance that this will happen for players that want to get their clock moving. Um, But in terms of whether or not they're physically able to play, that's a completely different scenario. And um, I spoke to a few Um, recruiting coordinators for the story that I wrote about this last week. And they all said, listen, there's not that many high school players that we would want to come in and be ready to play even if there was a season this year because you have to be physically able to do it. And not only are you physically able to do it, you have to have the classes and the credits and everything in place to make it to college because to be cleared academically to be eligible to play, there's a lot that has to go into it between test scores and tier credits. And I'm not a – guidance counselor I just know that there's a lot that has to go in it and not everybody can graduate early and a lot of schools don't even allow it so in terms of being a trend I think it might be a mini trend this year where three five ten players attempt it but I don't think it's going to be something that we see all the time it's just like you are what you are you're you are your year and I don't know why it's more common in basketball maybe you can feel that portion of the question maybe basketball is a less physical game and players want to be one and done faster but in order for a player to start as a true freshman, that's rare enough. Imagine them trying to start when they're supposed to be seniors in high school. It's hard. I think it's more prevalent in basketball for a couple of reasons. Um, The roster management, I think, is a little easier to navigate because they change more drastically, and there are three times as many Division I basketball teams as there are Division I football teams. So 
if a kid decides that he wants to enroll early and you weren't expecting that, maybe you have a spot or you take kick a kid, run a kid off or whatever, and use up his spot, but then like that kid can find somewhere else to go that is still on the somewhat same kind of same level as he was before. I think it's a harder proposition in football. Um, I agree with you. I don't. I don't think it's going to become a widespread kind of deal. I just think it's too tricky to navigate. Maybe it works for, like you said, a handful of guys every year. But college football roster management, I think, is more difficult than college basketball roster management, and just sort of a greater endeavor. And you have to t- also take into account the idea of like when guys enroll mid-year, they take they get counted backwards, or they can be counted backwards, right. and you can only have so many initial signees, and like that comes into play too. So it's just not like every kid in the country can't just decide like, well, I'm going to graduate high school early. Some high schools don't even allow it. A lot of these Catholic schools, we had a question that we're not going to get to on here about Kyle McCord and whether or not he's going to enroll early and be involved in a battle in 2021 if the season gets moved to 2021 and like i don't know because at the moment like saint joe's prep where he goes doesn't allow kids to do that and it was the same deal with like paris johnson at saint x he had to switch high school so he can enroll early and tate martell at bishop Borman had to switch high school so he can could, could enroll early so there are a lot of hoops i think for these guys to jump through too it worked out for tony grimes and maybe it'll work out for this kid in, in louisiana too but I don't think it's something you're going to see happening a whole lot. Yeah, and like you said, and you touched on it, but I also want to make it clear, there's a lot of like juggling when it comes to how many people they took last year and how many people they can take this year based on the new rules. And I think they're called, what's it called? Um, 25 counters from the previous year. And initial counters. Initial yeah. counters. And if your program already used up the, the amount, they can't physically do it. So like it is a very complicated thing. And a lot of things need to fall into place for it to happen. Next question, a little more Ohio State centric from Jake H. He asks, which is harder to replace slash or if slash when it occurs, Mark Pantone, Mickey Mirati, or Larry Johnson? He says all matter to the program and are excellent at their job. Are there more guys like them out there? Is it any tougher to find a new guy for one of these uh, potential replacements than it is for another? This is pretty, pretty clear cut to me. I don't know if like the one of these names immediately jump out to you is who's harder to replace. The hardest one to replace immediately jumped out at me. But okay, so mine was Marathi, and yours is not Marathi. Yours is going to be Larry Johnson. Johnson. Yeah, I mean, I I, all of them are very excellent at their jobs, and um, Larry Johnson has continually signed five star defensive ends. And I think that's more valuable because of his reputation and what he's been able to do in terms of development than his actual on-the-field coaching. I think that the allure of playing for the best defensive line coach in the country is a better asset when it comes to just acquiring raw talent than it is developing that talent, which I'm not saying he's he's very good, obviously, at developing that talent as well, but I think you got to get the talent to come in the door before you develop them. Um, to me, the reason why I picked Marathi was because he's around the players more than anybody else. And if you have a very good strength and conditioning coach, which is a huge deal at the college level, you want to have the best possible one because he's the one guiding the teams or in the offseason. He's the one creating the workouts and, and making sure they develop physically. And when they're not on the field with the head coach or with Larry Johnson, Marathi's the guy that's in charge eight months out of the year. And I think that if he is – still one of the best ones in the country. And I'm assuming he, maybe more people are catching up to how good he is, but given what he, he has done in the, in the way that this team has developed their players, because the other thing too, is they've done a really good job of converting their five-star prospects into hits. They haven't really had that many misses. And I think a large portion of that has to do with what goes on behind the scenes, but all three of them are impossible. Like, I don't know how you would replace Larry Johnson the guy's a legend so like I I don't want to like talk up one and then pretend like the other two aren't important but I do think that recruiting to Ohio State is an inherently easier proposition than recruiting to a random school in the middle of the country Uh, the brand carries a lot of weight and you know I don't know if Pantone would be signing top five classes if he was recruiting to Texas Tech all of a sudden Um, I think that that brand matters a lot not that he doesn't do a great job he does an excellent job but in terms of the person that I have to replace, it would either be Johnson or Marathi for me. And Marathi is the one that jumped out to me as the one that was most important because of his exposure to the players. I don't think there's a wrong answer with this one. And and you can make a sound argument for, for any one of them. 
Larry Johnson being a legend, I think, is what I fell back on. And it's not to say that, like, maybe Mickey Marotti and, and Pantone are considered that way in their own uh, um, areas of expertise. And I've talked with people in player development who have said such things about Mark Pantone. I, I think my ultimate thinking on this was they've both been doing this a while, and Larry Johnson has too, but there are a lot of guys in that business who Pantone has trained and a lot of guys in his business that Marotti has trained that I think could reasonably fill their shoes in a way that maybe is not totally equal to what they are, but is a reasonable you know, like facsimile of what they do, and, and Ohio State could be okay. I'm not sure that's the case with Larry Johnson. There are other really good defensive line coaches, but in terms of doing exactly what Larry does, the way he does it, the way he's done it for so long, I think that's a little harder to replicate. And there aren't – he's had good assistants. He had Kenny uh, Anuniki, who is now at Fordham, and he had uh, Vince – I'm going to say his last name wrong – Ogabasi, who is now at Boston College, who worked under Larry Johnson. And maybe those guys learned enough working under Larry for the time they did that they could step in and, and do it. But I think he's – He's a little more larger than life to me than these other guys are, and I think would be harder to replace. Now, the flip side of that, and you touched on it with Mick Marotti, I think if you asked any college football coach in the country who the most important person in the program is, they're going to say the strength coach. And like it's become a cliche, but it's true. And and maybe he's the answer, and he's the only answer. But Larry Johnson is already in the conversation for like best to ever do it at his job, and maybe Pantone and Marotti there are there too, and I'm being ignorant to that. But the fact that I know that Larry Johnson is – makes him feel a little more irreplaceable to me. I think the reason why this is a good question is because no matter what you say, I'm not going to think you're an idiot. Yeah, those are are the best questions. I can't be wrong. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Another really good question from Brett A. If there was a rule in college football that required each team to choose one player who had to play at least one snap at each position throughout the game, who would you choose from this year's OSU roster? Justin Fields. I'm embarrassed to say that I like he didn't even enter my mind, but that's like that's probably the answer, right? What are you talking about? It's like the only answer. Because I didn't think I don't know, I just didn't go to quarterback. I thought about who on the roster could like reasonably like play quarterback, but I didn't think to myself like just take their quarterback and put him everywhere. But I also don't know if I agree like he has to play every position, which means he has to play all five offensive line positions and all four defensive line positions. I understand that, but as ridiculous as it is to think of Justin Fields lining up at left tackle, it's even more ridiculous to think of Thayer Munford playing slot receiver. I think that like Justin Fields would be able to play the skill positions as good, and he would cover the most ground in terms of competent play. Of He'd be a good tight end. He'd be a good slot receiver. He'd be an okay running back. Um, he'd be a safety corner linebacker. Like He would be in a bad position when it comes to you know playing the offensive line positions, but I don't think uh, – Nicholas Petit Freire is going to take snaps and look any more in place than Justin Fields would looking at the line. Like I, I think it's pretty cut and dry. Like, My answer there, was Zach Harrison, and like Zach Harrison's a pretty good one because I guess he's as he played quarterback in high school, didn't he? I don't know if he ever took like wildcat snaps. He played tight end and defensive end, so he can play. I think he could reasonably figure out how to play all the line positions and the receiver skill positions, and he's fast, so you can put him at running back and DB, and like maybe he wouldn't look like a total fool. Um, maybe Zach Harrison's a better answer because he could play all the positions and not look like a crazy crazy person at any of them. And I guess Justin Fields playing left tackle would be really, really bad. But like Justin Fields is a big guy too, you know? Like, yeah, he's like 6'3", 225. Um, certainly sturdy by quarterback standards. I, I think if he lined up across from a good defensive end, he'd get steamrolled. Um and vice versa if he was playing defensive end. I just like Zach Harrison is six six and two hundred and seventy ish pounds, I think, but runs like a receiver. But would Zach Harrison playing quarterback look more in like would look better than Justin Fields playing left tackle? I think it would, yeah. And what about like corner? Yeah. I think it would it would it would not look natural, but if we were to compare the two, I think that would look more. He at any position would look more natural than Justin Fields trying to play offensive. So line. you think that Harrison would look more natural playing twenty two positions? Like there'd be a greater percentage of of natural looking ability from Harrison out of the twenty two than Justin. Yeah, his his frame and athletic ability lend itself to more of the twenty two than Justin Fields. I guess that's right, but I think that Justin Fields could play more of those positions. Good. I would not disagree with that. Like it might not look, it might not look good, but I think Justin Fields would be an elite college tight end. 
elite college receiver, elite college running back, and elite college receiver and maybe corner and safety and outside linebacker. Like if you put him in those rooms and like trained him to do those things, he is physically capable of doing all those things. I think there is a limit for Zach Harrison and what he'd be. I don't think no matter how much Harrison trained, I don't think he would ever be a receiver or quarterback at that level. But I guess maybe he could be a left tackle. So I don't know. We'll have to add him up. (laughs) I think those are two good answers. But I think those are the only two answers, right? Yeah, like I was thinking about the roster, and once I arrived on fields, I just like stopped thinking about it because I thought it was so obvious. But Harrison's a really good one because th- what was that stat you said on Andy Staples' show about like He's a, he ran he ran like a he ran a ten eight hundred meter in sneakers in the rain. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like something <laughs> your grandpa would tell you. But like, uh, yeah, I mean, if that's true, I mean, there's no questioning his like uh, elite ability. It's like I don't know, maybe Chase Young last year. But I don't know if Chase Young's fast enough, although he did look pretty good in those drills that they posted on YouTube the other day or on Twitter. Yeah, he can run. There's another guy on the roster who's, like, crazy athletic. I think if we asked this question last year, I might have said, like, Rashad Berry. Yeah, Rashad Berry's a good one. Um, on this roster, like, he hasn't played much, but, like, Craig Young is big and a pretty freaky athlete. And I don't know if he could hold up on the line because he's not – he's probably, like, 230, 240 as well. But he's a pretty – he's long. I would consider him, maybe. You know another one? Um, just based on pure athletic ability, Baron Browning, maybe? Yeah, that's a good one. Baron Browning might be a good one. Um, Zach Harrison's a really good one because he's fast and has size. Tyreek Smith might be a good one to throw in there. Yep. Um, but I think we got the best, too. Yeah. I think Fields and, and Harrison are your best bet. I would, I would lean a little more towards Harrison, but I think it's close. Dude, these quarantine questions are amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like so much easier to do this podcast and you have such an inventive i never would have thought about this question it never would have dawned on me to think about this if it weren't for yeah. brett a so we appreciate it somebody sent me a thing on twitter and said what are you guys going to do when there's no football i said just like keep making shit up which is the best type of podcast because yeah and we have like very smart and savvy listeners so it helps all right we'll wrap up there uh, apologies for going a little long apologies to john hayes our producer for going a little long uh, but we appreciate you guys sending in questions again. Subscribe to the athletic, theathletic.com slash four dash six. You can submit questions for future episodes. Go read our stories at the athletic. I got one going up on what's today, Tuesday, on Wednesday about Ohio State's offensive line and why they gave up so many sacks last year. Home run and the reasons for it <laughs> and uh, what maybe needs to change a little bit. Dugging at some advanced numbers a little bit. The numbers aren't pretty. The film I thought was a little more forgiving, but I had fun doing it. I hope you uh, enjoy reading it. Ari, anything you want to plug before we sign off? No. Just everything. I'm not self-centered. I am. I have a mortgage to pay. (laughs) Please read my stories. Sponsor him some fast food restaurant. Sponsor me fast food restaurant. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate that as well. Uh, For Ari, I'm Bill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week.